You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. And? What's going on here? Professor? Please don't call me that. Why, you know this guy? Yeah, he looks slightly familiar. Get off the bloody chandelier, Hank. You can walk. You're a perceptive one. I thought, Eric. Which makes it slightly perplexing that you managed to miss our sign on the way in. This is private property, my friend. I'm going to have to ask him to ask you to leave. Well, uh, I'm afraid I can't do that because... uh, Because I was sent here for you. Well, tell whoever it was that sent you that I'm busy. It's going to be a little tricky. Because the person who sent me was you. What? About 50 years from now. (laughs) I know. Stay with me. 50 years from now? Like in the future, 50 years from now? Yeah. I sent you from the future? Yeah. Piss off. If you had your powers, you'd know I was telling the truth. How do you know I don't have my... Who are you? I told you. You CIA? No. You've been watching me? I know you, Charles. We've been friends for years. I know your powers came when you were nine. I know you thought you were going crazy when it started, all the voices in your head. And it wasn't until you were 12 that you realized all the voices were in everyone else's head. Do you want me to go on? I never told anyone that. Not yet, no, but you will. All right, you've piqued my interest. What do you want? We have to stop raving. I need your help. We need your help. Hello and welcome to the 602 Club, Trek FM's local watering hole. And let's just say we are definitely watering tonight. Uh, Ruby has served the drinks because as we are releasing this show, we are releasing on the fourth anniversary of the 602 Club. So a round of drinks for everybody, Ruby. Uh, thank you so much for everybody who has tuned in and listened in for all of these years. I can't believe that, uh, well, I guess they always say time flies when you're having fun. And it's definitely flying by when you're just sitting on this bar stool. Ah, good drinks keep coming and great conversation. So here's to four more years and many more, hopefully, uh, doing this. But I uh, just wanted to say a quick thank you to everybody as we uh, do celebrate those four years. And as as always, you know, uh, if you like the show, give us a star rating review over on iTunes. Let people know what you think of the show. Um, and we'll call you out on the show. We'll, we'll, we'll thank you. We'll read your review. So let everybody know. Um, help the show grow. You know, four years, we've grown a lot, but uh, we can definitely always find new listeners and the best way to do that is with star ratings and reviews over on itunes plus follow us over on uh twitter trek fm facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm you can also find uh the show on all of this trek fm shows over on 
iTunes at iTunes.com slash TrekFM. We've got the website at Trek.FM. You can find our listeners-only discussion group if you want to talk with other fans about everything that we're talking about here on the network from all the different shows. Type Babel into the search field on Facebook. That's where our discussion group is held. Or if you're on the website at Trek.FM, hit discussion on any of the menu bars. And then... Last but not least, if you want to send us an email, love getting emails. Maybe you can send in your favorite uh, shows that we've done or your favorite uh, 602 Club memories or maybe how you found the show. Uh, go over to trek.fm slash contact to choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and then that'll come to me and any host that is on that week. And this week, we are celebrating 40 years by talking about kind of the pinnacle of the X-Men franchise in the sense that it could it kind of all culminates from, you know, X-Men, X2, X3, Wolverine, and then, you know, uh, X-First Class. All of it kind of comes to a head with these different varied casts in Days of Future Past. And here to talk about that with me is X-Men expert, Sean Eastridge. I like it. I like it. Expert. I like what you did there, Matt. It's a, it's a pleasure to be back. It's a pleasure to be the expert, and uh, I'm excited to talk about Days of Future Past. This is, I think, for both of us. But I'll speak for myself, just in case this is not the case. But I, uh, just in case this is not the case, what am I even talking about? I'm not the expert. On Allow speaking. myself to introduce myself. <laughs> Allow myself to introduce. Myself, <laughs> exactly. So I, uh, I, I have not seen Days of Future Past since it was released in 2014. I think May 2014 is when this came out. So I have not seen it since theaters. Yeah, I have. Um, I've seen it a couple times since then. Um, and I, I mean, I've uh, obviously, especially too, because they released the Rogue Cut, um, that came out, which we'll talk about later, and um. It I have seen that as well, and so and they are I would say there is a difference in the movies. Huh, okay, uh, you know, I was w- I wonder because I haven't seen the road cut, and I always wondered if it was literally the vibe I get from a lot of people is it's <laughs> they just shoved in a bunch of rogue content. I didn't know how dramatically it well, altered the movie. Yeah, there are there are some ways in which it does change the movie. For sure. Well, um, one of the weird weird things I thought about it, uh, not to delve too deeply into the plot, but it is strange that, or not too strange, X-Men is always, the franchise, the film franchise at least, has always favored its Oscar-winning actresses. Halle Berry took the forefront after she won her Oscar, and Jennifer Lawrence is basically the new Halle Berry, quote-unquote. But uh, it's interesting that Mystique became such a major prominent yeah, player when the true. powers of her, or the, the Sentinels' abilities seem more in line Mm -hmm. with Rogue. And so it's interesting that Rogue is nowhere to be found, that there ended up being a Rogue cut later. Uh, I see Mm -hmm. kind of on the surface level how it could be like, oh, well, Mystique, she transforms and stuff, but Rogue's the one who absorbs powers and stuff. Yeah, heck, we'll just go ahead and talk about it. I think it's a great place to talk about because we have the two different movies there. Uh, The Rogue cut, one of the main differences is that uh, when Kitty Pride is hurt, uh, Bobby thinks of the idea of of rescuing Rogue, who is held in Cerebro, which is the uh, in, in the old X-Mansion, which is heavily guarded um, because it's the only place that the professor can't make contact with is inside Cerebro. And so they rescue Rogue, 
who's being held, and they bring her back, and she absorbs Kitty's powers and allows her to continue what Kitty's doing so Kitty can stop. Oh, interesting. And and not kill herself. Um, in that process, Bobby dies. And when they're you trying also to get recover the answer Rogue? As, yeah. Wow. And you also get the, the answer as to why... Uh, the the sentinels find them in the first place because one of the tracking devices inside a sentinel hand that was severed that was caught in the jet um, during their escape leads the sentinels back to where they are okay. so it actually creates it makes more sense than the, oh the sentinels just happen right. to find them like in the middle of nowhere tibet you know um <laughs> Which I was, I was thinking to myself, why wouldn't you just hide in like the Amazon? It seems like a much <laughs> harder place to find. People that's what I was with all the life forms. That's what I was wondering when they were all standing outside the temple. I was like, why would you all stand outside the temple? Wouldn't you even try to hide yourselves from being seen? I guess at the end of the day, well, the was, Sentinels yes. can detect and, and why them. Why isn't Storm creating more of a storm to right. make it really hard? Any, anyway, she's got to so, do something. Uh, she's got to do something. Live up to that namesake. Exactly. Well, that's the difference in the rogue take. So it okay. does really kind of create a different feel to the film. Um, and, and in some ways, I, I think I enjoy the rogue take more than what we'll talk about, which is the theatrical cut. Because okay. in many ways, when you see the rogue cut, you can tell they cut those parts out and they had to stitch the movie together to make it work mm -hmm. without her. You don't have to have her in it per se. But I do think there are things that make more sense when you put her back in and you have her scenes back in. And it does make sense, like you said, yeah. that uh, the Sentinels are a combination of Rogue and Mystique's powers. And it makes sense why they would be holding her yeah. because she would be pretty important to that continued research, it, is my guess. It sounds like it also adds another action sequence to the movie because something I was actually kind of surprised, the movie is never not engaging or not exciting but it definitely had less overt action as far as like big action mm -hmm. sequences. You had a, a, yep. a pretty like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am opening. You have some stuff interspersed throughout. You have some stuff with Wolverine at the beginning that's kind of fun and goofy when he first wakes up in the 1970s. You have the great Quicksilver sequence. But for the most part, it I I kind of forgot how little it relies on big action set pieces even less so i think than uh x2 it feels a little bit more in line with x1 of course it's more bombastic than that but it does f i forgot how i was like huh there isn't as much so it, the road cut it sounds like they maybe were mm -hmm. trying to find a way to insert more action into the movie well i think to this movie um you know and one of the things that we called out talking about the X-Men films is that they kind of play by their own rules in a lot of ways. They don't they don't seem to feel the sense that, oh, we have to have an action mm -hmm. beat every 20 minutes. If the movie doesn't call for every five minutes somebody's, you know, getting an arm chopped off or something's blowing up, that we're losing the audience, that the story is dictated by the story and nothing else, which is great because I think um, here the, the movie is more of an intrigue thriller about trying to save time than it is anything else. It's it's not necessarily it's it's not created as one of those comic book, you know. This I put it this way: it feels like a graphic novel. Yeah, like this is meant to tell a story 
with all of these characters. This is kind of the culmination of everything that we've done in the X-Men movies. Yeah. Um, this is this is their Infinity War. Yeah, in a way it is. And you've got a great way of... Days of Future Past, I remember when they announced that, and it was really... I remember my first thought was like, oh, okay, they found an excuse to get Wolverine back in there. But uh, really, it's a cool way to honor the past and... Uh, acknowledge the future of where it's going and they did that also by bring bringing brian singer back which was very exciting for me as a fan of what he did with the first two movies i was like great i'm on board i'm ready for it but it does kind of feel like that and you're right i mean this feels like a graphic novel it feels even more i think uh when days of future past came out really and we've discussed this i believe but the x-men franchise's biggest uh pitfall is that it happens to exist now in a world that has the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where we're so bombarded with Marvel movies and superhero movies. When X-Men started, it was not the norm. We had X-Men, which was a solid start. Then you had the first Spider-Man. Then you had X-Men 2, and that was like a whole other level. And then you had a whole slew of superhero movies coming in. But I think Days of Future Past... When it was released, I remember it did really well. It got great reviews. It did well at the box office. But there was a sense of going to see it like, what What are they going to do? Like, how are they going to differentiate themselves? And like you said, I think what they really honed in on is this This feels less like an action-adventure movie than a sci-fi movie. I think the time travel really brings that out. But there's a lot of uh, fun stuff, especially I think they really b- embraced what I think first class did so well, which is kind of just focusing in on the styles of the decade and the fun stuff that the sixties had to offer. And they were like, all right, well, I guess that's our angle. We're going to really embrace the, uh, the time era and have a lot of fun with that. And you feel that a lot in days of future past. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I, I feel like that they do really well is they find a way to honor every single thing that's come before, even if it wasn't great. Yeah. You know, like they use bits and pieces of all of these movies to tie it all together. And I'll I'll say this movie to me is everything that Infinity War is not. Okay. To me, um, Infinity War is an overly long bloated mess that it. It, it it doesn't find a way to find anything new to do to differentiate itself from everything else that's come before. Mm. It's just kind of a regurgitation of everything you've had. Whereas I feel like this movie, on a completely opposite end of the spectrum, is something very new, and it finds a way to honor both casts, um, to use them well, um, and to use them where they need to be used and not feel like they have to cram them in later. Um, and it, it finds a way to actually forge as well a new future that could have been, if they had never done another X-Men movie, this could have been an amazing ending too. Yeah, so, I, you know, I, I obviously I don't agree about Infinity War because I really enjoy the movie, but I think what Days of Future Past's advantage is is that it's telling a complete story. There's hints, yeah, of course, yeah. uh, that, you know, they tease... There's a post-credit sequence because that has yes. to happen. There's kind of a, not a cliffhanger of an ending, but a little tease at the end of like, oh, Mystique is Striker, even though I don't know how much sense that makes. But I think, again, the advantage of uh, X-Men Days of Future Past is it's a complete story. It told a complete story. Um, one of, I think, my biggest pet peeves of Infinity War, as much as, as, much as I enjoy it, um, I, I think, is the fact that they kind of 
pull a fast one on you and they're like it, it's the big culminating movie and then it isn't really it's kind of like it's part one of a two-part story oh yeah yeah um, i totally and agree. i th- i think one of the things that the x-men what days of future past kind of did so well especially in this era of like oh it's we have an episodic franchise going on days of future past kind of reminded me when i saw it of the the good old days of superhero storytelling where it was like it's a standalone movie yes it's a sequel yes there are elements that you know they pull in first class they pull in the other the original franchise with the the original team but at the same time it it's you could almost go into days of future past without knowing anything about the x-men at all you could kind of approach the franchise i wouldn't recommend it but if you were to be like oh well the only x-men movie i have available to me is days of future past should i watch it without having seen the others i'd be like yeah sure it's fun you're gonna have a good time and you'll like you'll get what makes the x-men so special well, and they give you bits and pieces that you need from the previous films, whether yeah. it's a flashback or a scene or whatever, to, to kind of help set what's going on. Yeah. So I think they do a good job in, in that, too. Um, the one thing that it makes this very interesting is, is obviously, and I think a lot of people were excited when the movie was coming out, it's going to be a generational movie. We're bringing these two generations. You know, this is X-Men Generations. Yeah, um, I had that. I was yeah. like, this is basically if Star Trek <laughs> Generations had been <laughs> way better, Good. this is what it could have yeah. been. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I was fascinated by that. How do you feel like they pulled that off in the film? Do you feel like it ended up working the way they wanted it to? And do you feel like that um, each of the generations were given enough of their due. I think so. You know, I think I think the future storyline does suffer a little bit. I think there's um, it's just the the nature of the story, uh, the fact that there it's kind of we we kick things off with them setting the plot into motion and they have to take a back seat. But the story, and I think it's Simon Kimberg who wrote it, and of course Brian Singer's involved from a storytelling standpoint as well. They do a really great job of interweaving and finding ways to get back to that storyline. Uh, having the scene, I'm sure one of their earliest discussions, like we have to have a scene with Patrick Stewart and James McAvoy together having a conversation. How do we do it? Um, and that was a really clever way of not only getting that scene to happen, but as a development for for young Professor X, for that character, it's it's an integral part of his growth as a character. And uh, that's one of the things I think Singer brought to this franchise that I miss. I really missed in, in X-Men 3 and uh, X-Men Origins, but I even missed in First Class. I thought there were elements of First Class that were really moving. But uh, Days of Future Past, I think has a little bit more that's affecting to me. And a lot of it comes from Charles' character and his relationship with Eric. Um, but mostly Charles is the one who has the most significant growth as a character. But I loved I loved that, of course, we've got to get Wolverine in there, but I love that Wolverine isn't like the young, rebellious, reckless kind of guy that he's been painted as. He's now kind of the mentor to everybody. He's the one who's like, all right, guys, we got to get together. We got to do this. I don't know how we're going to do it, but he's kind of leading the charge and and getting everybody back on their feet. Um, I think if there's anything I could complain about, it wasn't something I noticed the first time, but this time around, I was like, you know, it kind of st- does stink that we, we don't get a lot of uh, big X-Men team stuff in the movie. And by that, I mean, there's some there is some good stuff in the future, but it would have been nice to see Wolverine team up with more than just Beast and Quicksilver. It would have been nice to see a couple more people in there. Maybe uh, it could have been excessive, so I applaud them for kind of 
restraining themselves a bit. But I think if there's anything I would knock it for, it's that the very nature of the storyline doesn't allow for there to be as much of the team up element as I would have liked. But there's enough good stuff in here that it doesn't really bother me that much. One of the things that I thought was very smart in the movie is that there is no character that's precious. That every every character and every part of the film is has been crafted because it's needed, not because oh this will be cute or cool mm. or any of that stuff. It's you know um you know, Wolverine is the way to get back into the past, and I think they they created a very good reason for him to be the one to go back. I think it also culminated very nicely in the fact that he is basically the Professor X role, and Professor X is kind of the Wolverine yeah. role in this. It, the roles are reversed from the very first movie, and that's a very that's a great arc to have seen because seeing that picture side to side of of what Wolverine used to be like and now what he is, you know, like you said, he's become the mentor. He and, and it's all because of what Charles will become. And there's that interesting role reversal now mm-hmm. where and and that time reversal where part of the reason that Charles becomes who he is is because it's this time loop thing, right? You know, and 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 so you get into that kind of fun sci-fi stuff. But, you know, I, I'm thinking specifically, you know, once Wolverine has served his purpose in the end, they just throw him in the ocean. You know, they throw him in the river uh, because he's, he's not needed anymore. Um, and his part mm-hmm. of the story is kind of over. But I, I appreciated that. Again, it's not that these these characters aren't precious. They are there to serve the larger story that's happening and the larger story is about all of these X-Men trying to survive. And so bringing these two generations together, you know, I do think you're right. The future story isn't quite as interesting as the past story, but it's good because in many ways it is the past story that's going to make the future. So you don't want there to be such a competition between them. Uh, and I feel like you, you you called out rightly. I think they do a good job of cutting back just enough to make you still interested in what's going on. And and will they be able to do it? Will they be able to hold on long enough to change the past and save the future? Uh, so that you you know we can go back to the future. Um, and I really yes. I, I think it's just it's, <laughs> that's it's, what it's really all about. Yeah, it's yeah, it's we want to go back to a better future and. What we get here, I think, is is really smart, and part of that is they they didn't feel like they had to um, treat things as sacred. They treated them like part of the story and what's needed, mm-hmm. and, and I feel like uh, Singer did get that pretty well here, and... You know, it's something that George Lucas talked about with Star Wars is he doesn't treat it as sacred. It's just, a, it's part of the story, mm-hmm. you know? So like nothing is sacred in the sense that you wouldn't maybe try something. And here, I think they really shoot for the moon and they they, they do a great job of pulling off both of these casts. And, um, you know, Halle Berry's still awful, but... Um, <laughs> it was, there was a moment, I remember when I saw it in theaters, I maybe I'm inventing this, this moment, but when she gets killed and it's played off as it's very dramatic and sad i swear like i said i don't know if it was in my head but i swear somebody applauded in the theater when i saw (laughs) it at midnight i swear i like i said maybe that was just wishful thinking on my part which is terrible i'm sorry i'm sorry miss barry i i know you're listening i i apologize but yes this series is not necessarily her her strong suit and uh it was funny to see her though in such a reduced role after she was so 
ridiculously expanded in uh, in X Men Three as like now she's the leader of the group and now it's like no now she's just a bit player who gets killed <laughs> at the end. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I completely agree. I think there's there's a lot of stuff in here that's really great. Um, again, it, it, it's it's the advantage of taking a look at and saying what is the story we need to tell? How can these characters help us tell? this story and it's in a way that i think is more effective than first class maybe because it feels like the stakes are more visceral first class for some reason to me feels it it has a really cool james bond vibe to me but there's something sort of goofy about it like it embraces the goofiness of bond but also kind of the campiness in a way that makes it difficult to take things seriously and with days of future past i feel a little bit more like okay i know what the stakes are the action is a little bit more intense and uh, the emotional journeys are a little bit more intense as well. And I, I don't know. I, I Did you, how did you feel about Days of Future Past following First Class? Did you feel like, yes, this is better? Was there ever a, a conversation about it or was it an immediate reaction? Yeah, 100%. I feel like this, to me, when especially when this came out, this was the best X Men movie that it ever made. Oh wow! Like this and and it was one of it, and it still is. I mean, rewatching it, I was reminded that, that this is one of my favorite comic book movies mm-hmm. because of the 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 way that it all puts together, the way it all fits together. And part of what you're saying there with the idea of the, the kind of the goofy campiness of uh, some of First Class. The X-Men movies have always been very good about taking themselves seriously mm-hmm. and treating their world very seriously. And um, it's kind of, in many ways, the anti-MCU in that way, where we're we're not here to make jokes about what was going on. We're here to deal with it. Now, this movie's got a lot of funny in it, but it is built into those scenes. It, it's part of the DNA of what's going on. It's not just a quip every two seconds mm-hmm. because that makes people laugh. Yeah, I think that that is the thing that makes this movie really work is that it knows when to take itself seriously and it knows when to let you have those moments to just sit back in awe at something that's happening on the screen uh, that you know we'll talk about later. Um, or it lets you uh, have those moments to be able to chuckle you know, um, because of something that's funny. But for the most part, this is a very, you know, it's, this is universe ending stuff, you know, that's meant to be kind of serious and and they take it as such. And I think that's really important um, because the less serious the movie, the more jokes that are in comic book movies, the less I take the story seriously. Mm -hmm. And if you want to have world ending paradoxes and, you know, um, time travel and you, the universe could end kind of thing, um, you, you should probably take that kind of seriously. <laughs> Otherwise, it's hard for me as a, as a viewer to then really take your movie very seriously. Um, and the storyline really matter. And this, I feel like, you know, the thing of putting these two generations together and doing it the way they do it with the writing, they live up to the, they live up to the story they've created. Yeah. And they don't ever take any cop outs. Yeah, it's a it's a really great way to. The, the, by this point, the X Men timeline had become so convoluted <laughs> because you had the first three movies, and the with the first two being on such a different level of quality than the third one, and the third one kind of went nuts, just killing off everybody. So things got really screwy. 
first class took it back and then it's kind of like well wait where is this leading into the x-men movies where does this fit into the timeline so days of future past is a really great way to kind of just like okay let's take a breather let's all right yes we understand we kind of screwed things up so we're just gonna reset it a little bit we'll get rid of the movies you didn't like and we'll embrace the good ones but in a it, it it's really they did it in a way that felt organic. Like that's what's cool about it is, uh, I, I, I mean, it is, it's taken seriously, but there is always a sense of fun to it. And, uh, there is a sense of, um, there, there is a sense of delight. It feels like it, it feels like the event movie that it should with having this great cast, bringing all the characters together in this way. Um, and it's fun. There are a lot of fun pairings. I I would lo- I would have loved. I think what I really would have loved to see is if you could take Scott, Gene, and uh, and Kurt from X Men Apocalypse and find a way to get them into this movie without it being overwhelming. I know it's not possible. That would have been nice to have a little bit more of like, oh, here's the current X Men team. Here are the characters we're familiar with. Um, but at the same time, like I said, this this movie part of what makes it work so well is it doesn't feel overwhelmed it doesn't feel bloated it knows exactly which characters are needed for the story and it and it tells the story that way what did you think uh because part of this is uh, what they decide to do with the time travel rules and it it allows you to be able to pay homage to everything that's come before mm-hmm. and say it all matters but at the same time by the end of this movie it does create a new future yeah. that we're moving towards. So you know that everything that's going to happen then and whatever movies follow this with that newer cast, the younger cast, mm-hmm. will lead to the future that you're seeing Wolverine in where it's all happy. Right. Now, my question is, is that is that the future that ends up leading into Logan? Like, have we created this new... Because my watching it this time, I was trying to figure it out. Because time travel is always super funky, and it, yes. it it never it can never make sense. But I liked the stuff. I liked the little things they did. Like I liked that when Stryker gets the uh, the taser in his neck and he's on the verge of death, that that throws Wolverine off. It's a really it was a really cool way to remind you of the stakes of time travel and how important it was that they not screw anything up too badly. But um, I. Uh, I yeah I I wonder I was wondering about how the timeline splits now. So X Men one two and three lead to Days of Future Past, but now that Days of Future Past happened, like you said, you have Apocalypse, you have Dark Phoenix, and then you also have I assume Logan at some point. So I but I don't know I I'm I'm not exactly sure how it works, and it frankly. I feel like it would give anyone a headache trying to figure it all out unless you're really into quantum physics and you really you're desperate to figure out the timelines of the X-Men movies. Well, and it's it's interesting because I what they decide to go with is classic sci-fi Star Trek time travel rules. Yeah. Uh, and X-Men like has always felt series. very Star Trek-y. Yeah. Like, it's always felt yeah. like the Star Trek. They even have a Star Trek episode playing in this uh, Right, exactly. I think that was a nice yeah. little nod. But it, it's always felt like, I think maybe because of the ensemble, because it's a little bit more thoughtful, I've always felt like X-Men is more comparable to Star Trek. Plus, I mean, X-Men 2 has the uh, pr- pretty much the same ending as Wrath of Khan. So, I mean, there's homages there, too. Mm-hmm. But um, it's true. So yeah, I, I didn't think cerebro? about that. What's up? It's more Cerebro. It's more Cerebro. Exactly. 
Thank you, yeah. Matt. Yeah. Um, no, I, so I think the thing, though, that by doing that, by telling us and even showing us again, showing us the Star Trek travel, uh, time travel episode, you understand the rules that they're playing with, which is that you can go back in time and change the past and impact the future. Mm. You're not going to just create a split universe. Now, they talk and they reference some other time travel theories, you know, about time being, you know, river right. and, you know, you, that you can't kind of stuff. change anything. But yeah. what, they, what, what they hold to is that this is a classic sci-fi time travel style movie, and I think that's really smart because then you know the rules you're playing with, you know? Mm. Um, and I felt like that was... Just a great way, and a, and again, what it allows you to do is to 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 have to say that you know you start with X Men, you go all the way through X Men three, and then Wolverine, and then that makes it, and then you come back and you see the past, and you know it all ties together yeah. and it all matters. But at the same time, we're then writing a new future, which allows us. It, it's kind of this weird cyclical motion, but it. You know, it, it's it's not a circle; it's a cyclical, and and it creates another loop around. And so it's it's a good idea. Do you think it ruins the stakes at all for Dark Phoenix? If we know, like, if that's if Dark Phoenix leads into future Scott Gene, we know that they all survive. Do you think that ruins the stakes at all? Well, um, not to me personally, just because you know. I, I would rather the Dark Phoenix story go in a way to which she can be saved than be her to be lost forever. So, I mean, I guess it, it'll be very interesting to see what they do mm-hmm. in that. Um, if they kind of behold themselves to the, the that timeline. Or if they just kind of, you know, what is day, the end of Days of Future Past and it's time travel thing. Uh, is that just that they've created an alternate universe or, uh, you know, a a parallel universe then where you go with kind of the Star Trek 09 feel. So, you know, you could do whatever you want because it's... Because that's the beauty of time travel. It doesn't make any sense. If it did, we'd be doing it all the time and ruining everything. (laughs) Yes. Well, one of the things that's fascinating to me about this movie is Trask as a character mm. one peter dinklage plays it perfectly oh he's great and it makes me happy because i this was I, I remember they cast him and it was right around the point where game of thrones was really like this is the thing so to see him in another another role and to play it like you said so well was it made me very happy because i love peter dinklage who doesn't love peter dinklage let's be honest i don't know how could you not i mean you know he's he's an angry elf <laughs> um but uh i i was it was interesting to me because I, he has that conversation with Stryker that always makes me slightly confused because he's talking about the dangers of mutant kind, mm. and then he switches his his whole thesis and saying, "No, no, I actually really respect them, and I feel like you know they could be the saviors of humanity, basically." And I'm like, "So which is it? They're either <laughs> the most dangerous thing on the planet, and they need to be eradicated." Or they're going to help us getting to the future? I, I, I think what? that's his sales pitch. because it, Well, the sales pitch is basically mutants are dangerous by my sentinels. But in reality, I think he's so fascinated by them because of what they can do for him. So I think he's like, no, I respect them a lot. But in a like sociopathic kind of way where he's like, 
I respect them a lot. I respect what they can do. I'm going to experiment on them and find out everything. So that'll pave the way for us and how we can bridge the gap between us and them. I think it's a very like kind of maniacal sort of respect where it's, it's not healthy, but, uh, I, I think it kind of, um, his sincerity is a little twisted in that scene where it, it's it's all at the end of the day, his respect for them doesn't extend much further than what they can do for his technology. What have you done for me lately? Yeah. <laughs> but he's great. He's so good. And I remember uh, I, I still think I, I would have liked a little bit of an uh, something maybe to address i don't know if it matters really but there was something about casting peter dinklage and because of his stature uh just having a moment maybe where he addresses it they have a little joke where they're like oh a little freak of nature like you i don't think that's a line it's whatever they say but at the uh, when he's talking to congress and trying to get his sentinel program passed but it would have been nice to have a little personal moment with him where he talks about maybe like you know my whole life i've been uh made fun of or da 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 but I'm going to create the thing that saves us and look you thought I was a freak but now I'm doing that something like that to make it a little bit more personal because I feel like as good as Dinklage is you don't really get a sense for why Trask is so motivated to do this like what drives him to do this other than the fact that he's like yeah I want to do this it's great well one of the things that I found pretty fascinating is that we you know we see play out the problem of what he wants to do and you know that that his creation it's like sentinel skynet mm. it it becomes a a problem not just for mutants but it becomes a problem for most of mankind since the these genes not gene gray but these these in mutant genes could be passed down for generations to generations right. before they become maybe active they kind in of somebody. It, it's it's minority report so it's like they're yes, but yeah, yes, Skynet meets exactly. Minority Report. Yes, it's like the Sentinels had a baby with Skynet and Minority Report, <laughs> the the Cogs, and you know, <laughs> it's perfect. That's cogs. a movie I want to see. It's, well, I it's 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 X rated, um, but um, so that is, I mean, the whole thing about a person, and I, I think what it kind of got down to with Trask, it's it's a it's. It's the bad guy who wants to control the things which he should not be controlling. Mm -hmm. And what you see is that Trask trying to play God almost destroys the planet. Yeah. And I think I really, I always enjoy when, you know, the the plan, even as well-intentioned as he thinks he is, um, is one that puts him in a position that she shouldn't have the position. Right. Because he's just a human being in the end. Yeah. And they, it's it's that classic sense of right. You're talking about somebody who wants the power of a god and then gets his comeuppance. I, uh, I, I kind of you know, I, I for me the the best villain I think of this entire series. Of course, Magneto is great, but I, I love William Stryker in X Men Two, and uh, it, it's it's tough for me because I X Men Two is such a perfect movie as far as I'm concerned, and Stryker is such a great villain because. His motivations are so sinister, but he has such a personal motivation uh, for what he does. His son, Jason, is a mutant, and you get a nice little tease, uh, a nice little Easter egg where they mention Jason in this movie. But um, I think I was missing that from Trask is that emotional 
undercurrent. I think I think Days of Future Past, why I enjoy it, but I don't love it in the same way I love the first two X-Men movies, is there does feel, there isn't as strong of an emotional undercurrent, but I think there there's arguments to the contrary, like Charles' story and his relationship with Raven. There's a little bit of stuff with Eric, too. Um, I think the second half of the movie, once Eric and Charles kind of team up and are back together, the movie kind of takes its time to find those emotional beats a little bit more than the first half. And uh, it makes it more effective. And I, I really enjoy that a lot. But is there anything like as far as Days of Future Past, what about it do you think from an emotional standpoint, does it do better than maybe the first couple X-Men movies? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think, you know, you were mentioning the whole uh, combination of Magneto and Charles and Xavier working together. And it is finally the death of that us versus them for Magneto. Because he says, you know, we wasted all of those years. Right. That's such a great moment. Uh, fighting each other. And it's such a beautiful moment because it's that that recognition that for so long I made it about us versus them. I made it this fight when it didn't have to be a fight. When if I had been doing it your way, Charles, if I'd been trying to show people a better way um, of of working together and being united together that we could have changed the future for the better and instead i helped create the future that we've got mm. i love um, and, and i love I really of course liked... that that's intercut with the scenes of him yes. michael yes. fassbender magneto doing all the horrible things that yep. would you yep. know bring about this terrible future but yeah it's such a great moment there are a lot of i i think uh singer really hones in in this movie and with the first two X-Men movies it's why I love them so much he does find time to get those emotional beats and those little character moments that really humanize everybody and really give you a sense of emotional stakes well it's the it's the emotion on top of of the thematic element which is so important to the X-Men franchise as a comic book series and and to translate it into film you want it to have that same resonance as well and it the it is these timeless themes you know um that the whole thing about that um Charles and 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 specifically you know Eric learning that he he didn't have to be against Charles he didn't have to be against humanity um, that he could have made the world better is huge. But, I mean, it's the whole thing, too. It, Raven thinks killing Trask is going to make things better, but in the end, it makes things worse because mm. it creates another layer of that whole us versus them thing that, that explodes and creates the need, what humans think of that aren't mutants, the need for sentinels, that we need to control this population. Look what they can do. You know, it, it, it continues to build into this idea of fear and so what we get is this 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 theme running through that's been running through all of the X-Men movies and finally finds its culmination here when Eric just admits, I shouldn't have been fighting you all those years. Yeah. We should have been together. And and to hear him say that, it finally feels real. You know, like it, it, it finally feels, feels it like... It feels earned. It, yeah. It feels, yes. in a lot of ways, it feels like Singer's trying to almost retroactively make his X-Men 3 in a way like give give us some of the moments maybe that might have ended up yeah. in the capper to his trilogy that he never got to do 
um, with little things like that. But did you find it? I, I thought it was a little silly that it kind of the whole. So the whole thing is Mystique kills Trask and that's what sets everything off. But at the very end, you know, it's like things are going badly. Mystique's still out and, you know, the future is still grim. And then Magneto comes and ruins everything by dropping a, a freaking stadium on the White House. And I thought it was I, I thought it was kind of goofy that they were like, but no, no, no. As long as Mystique, as long as we stop her from killing him, then it'll all be okay. And they're like, Yeah, you know what? We don't need the Sentinels. And I was there, I was sitting there thinking, wait a second, you just saw a mutant drop a, a football stadium in the on the White House. You do need Sentinels, but what do you what do you think of that? Did that seem well? Yeah, I think to me, you know, that becomes the the whole uh, again the very beginning of the movie. They have the conversation in the future about their choice: do we do this or do we not do this? And and the question became: if we do this, will some of us even exist? Um, or will we be willing to sacrifice our lives, maybe even not existing, for there to be a better future for people we don't even know? Mm. And um, so the idea of, of self-sacrifice and on top of that, the fact that Charles has spent most of his life in in the past kind of trying to control people because he's been used to being able to do that. And what he's learned is that you have to let people make your choices. Right. All you can do is is is... Show them the light, show them a better way, show them a better path, live that path so that people can see, you know, uh, you know, basically become a good witness for what your beliefs are and hope that other people want to join you. And you put those two things together and you get the end where, you know, he allows Mystique to make the choice. Mm -hmm. And what we see is, is that Mystique is not the character that we know from Singer's other Excellent movies. This right. is a mystique who will go on to be a different type of character. And it's because of the choices that she is allowed to make. She's not forced to make them by Charles. She's not coerced into making them. She gets to make them on her own. And in the end, it kind of becomes, you know, that Harry Potter lesson of, you know, it, it's it's our choices that define who we are. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, you know, it it could be somewhat a little bit cheesy. But I do think that it's it's a moment that's kind of earned there where I could understand uh you know um th that the the moment of and and I mean kind of shocking that it would come from Richard Nixon but the moment <laughs> of of having you being dead to rights like you you would be dead if it was not for the mercy of somebody else yeah. and realizing that um you know again it's not us versus them. They're not our enemy. They don't have to be. Sure. And the choices that we make here will either turn them into enemies or they will turn them into hopefully friends one day. And what we choose is to be friends. And I think in many ways, like you were saying, this is Star Trek and we want, and Singer is doing the Star Trek thing, which is he shows us what the best version of what we could be is. Mm. And that's where we end on the movie. And I think that's, the the personal touch of it is what I mean. That's what makes it work because it is at the end of the day. I think it's like uh, if you've got guys like that out there, maybe the Sentinels aren't so bad. But you, I I do like the idea of uh, it, it comes down to that very personal relationship between Charles and Raven and him saying, "I will let you make the decision. You're it's it's up to you." 
Right. Well, and I mean, they even make the decision with him and in Magneto too, because you know, um, and and Eric makes the decision to walk away, to fly away. Um, so <laughs> he's like, but peace to, out. to not continue it any further, and so, and it and it leaves you with that sense that there's a path to redemption for this character, and I think that's another important thing about the movie is that allowing for the chance of redemption. I mean, we live in a world where where I feel like it's becoming less and less kosher to al- allow there to be redemption for mm. people. Even people who've made, you know, maybe a bad mistake. But do we want to live in a world that that's not an option? Yeah. That it's one and you're done. Otherwise, you know what? We're all guilty. So, I mean, you can point fingers at, at people all you want, but in the end, none of us are, are, are perfect people. So the 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 whole point of seeing that we can let people choose another way and we can show them another way. We have to give them a chance to, to find redemption then. Um, otherwise, you know, yeah, we just lock people up. They're only play the key. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, something else I like about days of future past that I, I did notice the first time I saw it in theaters is that the climactic sequence, what we've been talking about, isn't as much about the big action, which is, it was kind of, it was an interesting change of pace, but also I think something that stood out as what made the X-Men franchise so unique, at least when it's working on, or it's firing on all cylinders, but it really is, it's a personal thing, but uh, as far as the action goes, like I mentioned, it felt, it feels a little bit more muted as far as action. You don't really have Wolverine do an all-out berserker rage. He kind of has a little bit of fight, but then he gets all, all strung up with, uh, with metal and thrown into a river he doesn't have a big action sequence maybe it's not necessary because we've had about 50 wolverine movies with him doing a berserker rage but is there any uh action sequence in this that stands out to you or any particular moment (laughs) i do think um you know you really get in the film um the, the standout scene which is the quicksilver scene yes um I don't you think know, I don't I think, think anyone will disagree with that. that. Well, and not only that, but I I I think that it's a movie that that took the idea of super speed and just really played with it. <laughs> um, and the the as fast as he's going, I mean, you you would have to be going near the speed of light to be able to do what he's doing. <laughs> um, because. You know, but in the end, it it's a comic book movie, and so to really play with that and create that moment that feels like six splash pages put together is pretty fantastic. Yeah, I I adore um, that. I mean, this the the music choice, the the oh, the the sheer brilliant. hilarity of it's it, brilliant. Yeah, it it's great. That's that's definitely a standout moment for me. I love. I just love the. Uh, I love the moment. I another great sequence, like I said, is when they go to confront Mystique, who's in the office with Trask mm-hmm. and everyone else, and she's about to kill him. And you have Stryker getting zapped. Wolverine's kind of losing his mind. They do a really great job. We talk a lot about the intercutting of future and past, and I thought that was a brilliant way halfway through the movie to remind us of the stakes of the future that it is something where there is time travel playing into it because we spent a lot of time in the past at this point and we haven't spent a lot of time remembering that there is Wolverine is being transported back so the way they they manage to 
make it intense. I love the moment where <laughs> Mystique jumps out the window, Magneto shoots the gun, and but she's already escaped, and then he guides the bullet down after her. It's just, it's so, it's such comic book glee, but it's also a really great way storytelling wise to uh to connect the dots and make sure you understand the stakes on both sides of the timeline what did you think of you know this movie's production and the 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 effects there um the the just the the production value of it um from the the past and the future Mm -hmm. and then i mean because they're creating two different types of worlds one doesn't exist at all the other was in the past um all of that how did you feel like this movie uh works and do you feel like it still holds up production value wise you know honestly i think some of the future stuff feels a little dated ironically since it's the future it shouldn't feel dated but it does uh some of the effects work is a little wonky i think it's just when when you're looking at a, a big effects movie and you find yourself in a situation where you have to create a fantastical world that is clearly not real. Um, so it, sometimes I I tune out pretty quickly because I'm like, oh, it's a digital landscape. I also think their costumes were a little silly. It looked a little. I don't know. There's there was a laser tag place called Ultrazone back in Northern Virginia when I was growing up, and it reminded me of like the laser vest you wore uh, when you would go in and fight. It just <laughs> yeah. made me think of like Ultrazone, like they were shooting on an Ultrazone set, but. Um, I think the past stuff works for me because whereas the future, you can kind of like, oh, they're all wearing black leather. It There's kind of a Tron element to it. Like the things look a lot like Tron Legacy, the machines and everything. Those aesthetics look familiar. But the the fact that you have the 70s angle, I think, gives, it, give, gives the movie its unique flair. And for me, the past sequences from a visual standpoint work better for me than the future sequences. And I think... The special effects work better because they're surrounded by more real settings and and mm-hmm. real world situations in the past than they are in the future. But I do love that we get a really cool uh, all out action sequence with the X Men at the beginning of the movie. I thought that was a great way to start, and I almost feel like it's Brian Singer kind of saying "f you" to everybody who was like, "Superman Returns is so boring, and why can't he direct a good action movie again?" And he was kind of like, "Oh yeah, action movie. Okay, great. I'll start my my next big comic book movie with a crazy action sequence." But uh, I did like that. But I think the effects were a little wobbly for me at times. I don't know. What do you think? You know, I think there are a few scenes here and there where the, the effects are, yeah. You know, I mean, part of that's the time period you're in, mm. um, and part of that is I think there are thirty different companies that are working on this movie, so. <laughs> Um, you know, there can be different places where it's good and where it's not. Mm. For the most part, I what I was surprised is that the movie holds up really well. And because we don't spend an enormous amount of time in the future, um, that really helps mm-hmm. uh, because we're not reminded of that. And then, you know, uh, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. The the production value of the rest of it is is fantastic. The period stuff they do is all great. You know, um, yeah. when they're there's a lot of really clever, like have like having Nixon in there is is so goofy because that's such a caricature. But like the 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 way they managed to like fit little subtext stuff in there, like um, like the Professor X's heroin quote unquote addiction, like being able to yeah. <laughs> to find a way yeah. to comment on that without going into the subject of heroin. But like little things like that, I loved. 
I I forgot about the gag of like why why did they lock up Eric? Oh yeah, JF he he assassinated JFK. How else could you explain the magic bullet? I thought that was so brilliant. But those little touches are so great. I thought it was really clever how they managed to fit all those little nods to the decade into the movie. Well, and and on top of that, you have a movie that I I feel I just feel like works when you put the whole thing together all of these scenes together, you put all of these characters together and you put the story together. It's something that you watch and it works. And that's something that's really important in a comic book movie Mm -hmm. to have the whole really come together. You know, you can always have in comic book movies, uh, you know, I'd say I don't, I don't dislike Superman returns, but there are things that where I definitely feel like it could be better, Mm -hmm. but you can pull out that one scene at the beginning of the movie with the airplane crash. And it's one of the best action sequence. And it may be one of the best Superman action sequences ever created. Um, it could be the best, maybe. You never know. I mean, you, you, that's that's a, the debate there because it's very, very, very good. And then it's in the, the midst rest of, of like the movie. Two, two and a half hours of him kind of moping. Yeah, the rest, of, yeah, people, oh gosh, you want to talk about moping. People <laughs> complain about Man of Steel. Anyway, that's <laughs> My point is, is that you can have these different movies and they can have parts of them that work and that we will come out talking about. But I think the thing about, I was I'm noticing about this movie is that it's a cohesive whole. Mm-hmm. It all works together to create something that you enjoy being on the entire ride with, but you also appreciate all that came before even more, mm-hmm. which is great. You know, I can even appreciate the crappiness that is uh, X3 <laughs> because there are parts of that that play into this. You know, Wolverine Origins, all of those things. Every single X-Men movie is given its due in the sense that it is it is treated with the same amount of respect and that all of those movies have played into this. I think that's really, that's an accomplishment mm-hmm. to say everything behind you is better now because of what we created right. here. But it also created a future that I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I, if they never create another one, I'm good. If they continue this, I'll be interested to see what happens. But I, I am satisfied. Yeah. And I think part of of what's so funny about it is they respect X-Men 3 by saying we respect that you exist and now we're going to pretend that you don't (laughs) and everything you did. We'll we'll just undo that and we'll bring all the characters back. But well, and that's and I think, you know, in many ways, it's it is kind of the genius of what J.J. does in Star Trek 09 where he says, I respect everything that came before, but now we're going to play in a universe right. where we can do whatever we want. Yeah, it's and, very similar. And in many body. ways, yeah, that's what they do here. And I think it's it's a smart thing to do to treat your audience with respect, to treat your audience with respect to, there are people that like Wolverine Origins. There are people that like X3. Mm-hmm. So you treat them with respect. You don't tell them they shouldn't like it. Um, you You just say, Yes, all of that happened, all of that matters, and it all culminates in the story we're telling here. And I think that's what makes, you know, to me, so far, it makes X-Men Days of Future Past the best, like, culmination movie Mm -hmm. of a superhero franchise. Like, it's the one that I think has done it the best. And so uh, I guess that only leads us to one question. If you were going to rate you know, days of future past. Uh, what do you think? 
I think the first time I saw it, I'd probably give it a four. I think this time I'll say three and a half, mainly because I, I think it, it, there's there's a lot I love about this movie, and I think it's a really solid action movie. I think in some ways it just is just one of many. That's not so much this movie's fault as it is just the times we're living in. And not enough about it stands out to me to make it really be like, man, this is like X-Men 1 or 2. But uh, overall, I, I I think this is... It, it's such a return to form for me. It was, it was such a return to form for me in a way that I think I thought first class was when I first saw it, but it really wasn't. Um, Days of Future Past was was great from the moment i mean from when john ottman's score kicked in i just remember i was almost in tears in the theater i was so happy to have that theme back um and it really as as a x-men one and two fanboy seeing it honored in that way and seeing someone like singer who has such a respect for the source material come in and do something and and kind of get a chance to riff on x-men again that was really the delight for me and and the stuff in the past is great. The stuff in the future is a little silly uh, with the the design and the costumes, but I think overall, Days of Future Past still holds up. I think it's it's maybe a really great snapshot of uh, a really great example of of superhero movies. <laughs> kind of not the last great superhero movie, as if there aren't great superhero movies being made, but in a way, as we were saying, just a standalone feel it feels like a complete story even as it's a sequel even as it's kind of a prequel quote unquote it feels almost out of its era in a way and i, I it's fun to go back and rewatch it i think the thing that i really appreciated about getting to watch this again was the fact that i i feel like the movie really does hold up in the, in the storytelling sense like all all the things that you need for a movie to work you know effects come and go because that's just uh, they're always going to be getting better. So many times for me, I have to let that go because in the time it was amazing. You know, when this movie came out, I don't think any of the effects I would have thought, oh, that looks mm. a little cheesy, you know. <laughs> now I say that because, you know, we're we're years removed from when this film came out. And so uh, I, I really do feel that this is a movie that, you know, gosh, I, yeah, it's been four years since that came out. So... Um, That's nice. I, I, f- I think that it's a movie that that does the the comic book genre a solid. Like it's it. I mean, you watch this movie, and you're like, okay, yeah, I get why we watch these kind of movies. Mm-hmm. You know why we like these kind of movies. And to me, like you said, it's a it's a joy because it's it is one. I I don't have to have sat through all the other movies to to watch this one and really get the most out of it. I can still just pop in this movie and enjoy it, you know. And I don't know, and I hate to compare them, but I I don't know if you can do that with Infinity War, Mm -hmm. per se. Yeah. And just really get the most out of it if you haven't seen, you know, Iron Man in 10 years. Yeah, it's, it's I think, I think Infinity War is the culmination in a way that uh, Deathly Hallows kind of is in terms of like there's a continuing story that's been leading up to this but also we're going to cop out and make you come see part two also known as (laughs) avengers 4 but uh but yeah days of future past i think because of the fact that it feels like such a complete storyline makes it feel a little bit more like a standalone product 
Yeah, and because of that, you know, to me, this is a very solid, I mean, and I say very solid, it could be even 4.5, but I'd say it's a good 4 out of 5. Do you think it still, I mean, it does is, it still hold up to your original Yeah, viewing? yeah, I mean, that's my, that's what I've got in Letterboxd, too. Okay. Um, and I would still say, you know, I, I was looking at my Letterboxd uh, ratings for just, like, I have a favorite superhero movies, mm. and it's rated number 8. Nice. Right after Logan. Where does it, so, so where does it rank know, in your X-Men franchise uh you know i think it's number one yeah it's number one but what about logan so does it, logan we were talking about this so a little well bit. it's you... logan so i put logan in there and so it's logan x days of future past okay. x2 first class one and then blah blah blah, 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 blah. I, th- I think i would go so. two one uh I think before I rewatched this, I would probably put Days of Future Past next. I think now I would put Logan next and then Days of Future Past. But as we were discussing before the show, Days of Future Past is a better superhero movie than Logan, which is not to say that Logan is not the better movie. It's just I think the the fun, the 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 sci-fi elements, the zany comic book action makes Days of Future Past feel more like a comic book movie. And Logan is very much about subverting those expectations. Well, yeah. And I mean, I, I would say, you know, in 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 many ways, Logan is a drama. Yeah. You know, it is just a pure drama in, in you know, the, the Godfather type sense. You know, mm-hmm. it has that kind of gravitas and weight to it. It has that kind of emotion to it. So it's a very heavy movie. Mm-hmm. I love Logan. Absolutely love it. I think it's one of the best comic book movies ever. Obviously, it's rated six on my favorite comic book mm. movies list. Uh, but it's also a movie that I don't just pop in any time. Like, I have to be prepared yeah. to watch you Logan. To, because, and, yeah, brace yourself You know, it's like Schindler's List. I don't just watch Schindler's List whenever, <laughs> you know? <Right. laughs> so, um, but no, I think, I, you know, we had started this out throughout the year doing these films because... Well, we were supposed to be getting uh, the Dark Phoenix film, and that's been pushed to next year. So we'll have to wait and come back to that next year. But um, I really want to say a huge thank you um, to everybody who makes this show possible. Um, we actually have a brand new associate producer through Patreon, Ryan Millette, uh, as well as Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, and Daniel Noah who make sure that the 602 Cup comes to you each, each and every week. I mean, and some of these guys have been supporting the show from almost its inception. Um, no, yeah, well, wink, wink, inception. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm not that clever. Anyway, <laughs> but I really do want to say a huge thank you because, again, as this has been four years in the making, it's been a real joy to get to sit around and talk about movies like this with amazing guests that come on every week. You you get new people to come in and, and talk about their thoughts on films. And so really just I just want to say thank you for supporting us, for listening um, and uh, hope for your continued support. Um, and one of the best ways to do that is to go over to patreon.com slash Trek FM and see how you can be part of our team here at Trek FM, because there's no way that we can put together this network without the support of people just like you. It costs way too much. It's a huge network. It's a huge undertaking. Um, and um, it costs a lot to do this. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm. We've got some great contribution levels, but honestly, every little bit helps. Um, so become part of our team. Uh, and again, thank you all of you that do support us. And for all of you in the future past that will support us. <laughs> uh, now, Sean. Yes, uh, sir. If uh, people wanted to maybe catch up with you on some sort of, I don't know, I guess, um, 
man, I guess if you had the internet, yes, that the thing, you know, that they didn't what have they, in the what 70s. What the kids call it these days. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you could, but if somebody wanted to find you on the interwebs, where can people find you? So you can find me on Twitter, at Doorman. I'm hanging out there every so often. And uh, you can also find me on the Nerd Party Network doing the show Missing Frames, which is a podcast where we watch all the movies we should have seen by this point in our lives, but for whatever reason have not. So feel free to check that out. I hope you do. And uh, and I'm, I'm all around. I'm all around. Come shout at me. Uh, well, and on Twitter, make sure if you want to shout out at uh, Sean, make sure to use all caps. That way, he, you <laughs> I he need knows to know. I want to know him. that you're shouting yeah. at me. Please, exactly. Please, uh, you can find me on Twitter as well. If you want to shout at me, Matt Rushing Zero Two on Instagram under the same name. I am also here on the network doing the Orb with uh, Chris Jones as we talk about Star Trek: Deep Space Nine and the Orb. I'm on the Nerd Party Network as well. I do Owl Post with Drea Kaufman talking about Harry Potter each and every week as we dive in one chapter at a time. We're almost finished with the Goblet of Fire, so make sure you're following us. I know. It's How so long has fun. that taken? Uh, it is taken. Um, it's almost halfway. We actually have more episodes left in the last three books than we do in the first three. That's amazing. That's crazy. Yeah. This tells you, so, for those of you who aren't familiar with Harry Potter, that yeah. tells you how long the latter half of the series is. Oh, it's, but it's good great. stuff, so it's I great. can't wait. Um, you can also find me on Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills talking about Star Wars each and every week. I love doing that show. It's such a blast. And if you're a Star Wars fan, uh, or even if you're not, it's the place for you because we'll make you one. Or if you're a John uh, Mills fan, which uh, they're out there. I, I Yeah. You know. Few and far between. Yeah, few and far between. Very few, very (laughs) far, but they're out there. Yeah, whatever. I'm one of them. Uh, You can also find me on one more show called Cinema Stories, and that's where I talk about films through the lens of faith with my good friend, Courtney. But even after four years, thank you so much for joining us, and y'all come back next year. 